Hey listeners, I recently launched an ad-free Serial Napper feed so that you can enjoy the podcast without interruptions. Elevate your Serial Napper listening experience by joining my Patreon community and get yourself an ad-free feed on Spotify. For just $2 a month, you can become a member today and unlock ad-free episodes while still supporting the podcast. It's super easy. Just visit Serial Napper on your Spotify app and click the button at the top that says exclusive episodes for subscribers. Don't use Spotify for your listening? No problem. Just visit patreon.com slash Serial Napper to get your episodes ad-free and enjoy uninterrupted storytelling while you get your naps in. Mother's Day is almost here. Have you found that truly special sentimental gift for your mom yet? Don't worry, I got you. MyLifeInABook.com is a unique service that turns your mom's life stories into a beautiful book. Here's how it works. Every week, MyLifeInABook.com will send her a question via email. These can be pre-written questions about her life or any custom questions that you want to ask. And then she can either type her response or use their voice-to-text feature And MyLifeInABook.com compiles all of her responses into a beautiful keepsake book. Imagine discovering stories about her youth, adventures, and the challenges that she overcame. This book becomes a legacy, something you and your children can treasure forever. Your mom has given you a lifetime of stories. This is your chance to give her a way to share them. I loved this idea so much that I've started my own My Life in a Book for my children to have. The thought of my son and daughter being able to learn about my life story as they grow into their own adulthood is truly special. It's been an enjoyable journey of self-reflection for me too, with questions like, which one event made the greatest impact on your life? It's brought back memories I didn't even know I had. I love it, and I know your mother will too. Check out mylifeinabook.com and use code SERIALNAPPER at checkout for 10% off. Create an unforgettable gift for your mom this Mother's Day. That's mylifeinabook.com and use code SERIALNAPPER for 10% off today. Hey everyone, my name is Nikki Young and this is Serial Napper, an international true crime podcast. I'm back with another true crime story to lull you to sleep or perhaps to give you nightmares. Tonight we're talking about Krista Pike, the youngest female ever to be sentenced to death in the USA when she was just 18 years old. The things that this young lady did are absolutely shocking and particularly heinous, which is why this was a death penalty case. Krista, who is now 46 years old, still sits on death row, awaiting her execution. However, along with her lawyer, she continues to fight to have her death sentence commuted to life in prison. So far, she's been unsuccessful. However, all of that could change. The difference between receiving a death sentence or not comes down to just one year in age. If Krista had been 17 years old when she had committed murder, the death penalty would have been off the table completely. 
So does Krista deserve a second chance at life? Or was the crime that she committed so heinous that she cannot be helped? Let's jump right in. We're going to do things a little bit differently than what I usually do. This time we're going to start with Krista. Typically, I like to focus more on the victim, but in this case, I think it's really important that we talk about the circumstances of Krista's life and how we got to this point. Humans are just born to be violent killers. Or are they? It's a question I always reflect on when I'm researching new cases, and I think Krista's situation is one where there doesn't appear to be a very clear answer. Krista Gale Pike was born on March 10th, 1976 in West Virginia. Things were done to her by those who were supposed to love and care for her even before she ever left the womb. Her mother would drink while she was pregnant with Krista, and doctors would later say that this likely contributed to an underdeveloped brain. She was also born prematurely and given to her grandmother to be raised almost immediately after birth. Her mother chose partying, drinking, and drugs over her daughter, and her father didn't want to be involved in her life anyway. So you would probably think that it's a good thing that Krista's grandmother raised her. Unfortunately, her grandmother was just as terrible. She was also an alcoholic and lived with a man that she was dating who is alleged to have molested Krista from a very early age. And by early, I mean while Krista was still in diapers. And her grandmother did absolutely nothing to stop it. Now, when her grandmother died in 1988, 12-year-old Krista was sent to live with her mother, who was now working as a nurse and yet still did not have a single motherly bone in her body. Her mother also had a physically violent and abusive boyfriend living with her who would take his anger out on Krista. She would be beaten by him using a belt, and again, no one ever stepped in to help her. When she was still just a child, Krista's mother decided that she would bond with her the only way that she knew how, by smoking marijuana together. As you can imagine, this was not your typical mother-daughter relationship. Krista's mother treated her more as a friend. There were no rules in the home, no routines. Krista was basically allowed to do whatever she wanted, whenever she wanted, as long as it didn't piss off the live-in boyfriend. Now, when this boyfriend became too much, sometimes Krista would stay with her birth father, but that relationship was also very strained. He hadn't really been involved in her upbringing, and now she was an out-of-control teenager who didn't want to listen to any sort of parenting. As a result, she was kicked out of his home at least twice before she would turn 18 years old. Krista definitely struggled in school, and it's easy to see with such a tumultuous situation in her home life why that is. She dropped out of high school, which gave her even more time to get into trouble. Soon, she started shoplifting and she was arrested, even spending time at a detention center for her shoplifting crime. What will become apparent as we go further into this story is that Krista Pike is not a sneaky criminal. She's not careful, she's not elusive, everything that she does makes it seem like she wants to be caught. And perhaps that is very much the truth. But after her time in the detention center was up, it almost seemed as if she was finally going to turn her life around. She enrolled in a career training program called Job Corps. 
According to their website, Job Corps, quote, helps eligible young people ages 16 through 24 complete their high school education, trains them for meaningful careers, and assists them with obtaining employment. At 18 years old, Krista wanted to follow in her mother's footsteps and become a nurse. And this program would meet her where she was in life and allow her to do just that. It was at Job Corps that Krista would meet her boyfriend, 17-year-old Tadaryl Ship, who was studying culinary arts. Together, they were a perfect storm. Much like Krista, Tadaryl had a really difficult upbringing. His mother raised him by herself, but she struggled to make ends so they were very poor and they lived in a very bad neighborhood. Tadaryl would run with street gangs, he would get into criminal activity, and drop out of school in grade 9. But he was trying to do the same thing as Krista, make one last-ditch effort to try and get his life together. Unfortunately, the pair spent most of their time getting into trouble together instead of doing any sort of studying or learning. Krista's best friend was another young woman at Job Corps named Shadola Peterson. The pair quickly hit it off, and apparently they had a lot in common with each other, including an interest in Satanism, which they were both rumored to have practiced. Tadaryl was also interested in the occult, and the three of them, Krista, Shadola, and Tadaryl, were often overheard frequently talking about participating in a human sacrifice. Now, if you know anything about Satanism, that ain't it. But that's what they thought it was all about. Until along came 19-year-old Colleen Slemmer, another young lady from Jacksonville, Florida, who was also taking classes at Job Corps. Colleen was studying computer technology, and she ran in a completely different circle than Krista. The two probably would have never crossed paths. However, a rumor began to circulate that involved Colleen and Tadaryl. There was chatter about Colleen pursuing to Daryl and the two of them even hooking up at one point. It's unclear whether there was ever any validity to the rumor. Colleen's friends would say, no way, while to Daryl would eventually confess that the pair hooked up behind Krista's back. Either way, Krista was really jealous and she was incredibly possessive over her boyfriend. She wasn't going to let another girl have him, whether the relationship was real or imagined. One day in January of 1995, Krista was at Job Corps and she casually mentioned to one of her classmates that she had decided to kill Colleen because she, quote unquote, just felt mean that day. Again, the classmate didn't really take her seriously and thought that she was just angry about the rumors involving her boyfriend. But the following day, Krista asked Colleen to hang out with her and to Daryl and her friend Shadola. They had plans to head out to the park that evening and smoke some pot, and Krista had offered to share a joint with her as part of some sort of peace offering. Around 8 p.m. that evening, the four were spotted walking away together from the job court dormitory. However, only three would return a few hours later. Once they were away from prying eyes, the real plan became clear. Krista was going to kill Colleen as a human sacrifice and out of pure rage and jealousy. Her friend Shadola acted as a lookout to make sure that no one was walking their way or could see what was happening. For the next 30 minutes, Krista viciously tortured Colleen. 
First, she made her undress, removing both her shirt and her bra to humiliate her. Krista and Tadaryl began to kick Colleen as she laid on the ground. Then Krista took out two weapons, which she had brought with her, a meat cleaver and a box cutter. She began cutting Colleen with the box cutter, carving a pentagram on her stomach. Then she began stabbing Colleen and slicing at her skin, cutting her more than 300 times while Colleen was still very much alive. Colleen tried to talk to Krista while she was lying on the ground bleeding. She tried to convince her to stop, saying if they would just let her go, she would go back to Florida immediately and never come back to the school. This didn't stop Krista. Instead, Krista took a large piece of asphalt that was lying on the ground, and she began hitting Colleen on the head with it until Colleen died a very agonizing death. Krista would later describe the gurgling sounds that Colleen was making as she choked and suffocated on her own blood. When Colleen finally stopped making noises and it was clear that she had died, Krista bent down and picked up a piece of Colleen's skull, putting it in her jacket pocket to save as some sort of trophy. Then, the three of them covered her body up with leaves and walked back to the dormitory as if nothing had happened. They left Colleen's body behind in the park in a very shallow grave, not even making any sort of attempt to hide it. Krista returned back to her dorm room at around 11pm, and again, she didn't try to hide anything. Her roommate was there, and she was ready to brag about what she had just done. She straight up told her roommate that she had just killed Colleen, and when the roommate didn't believe her, she pulled the piece of skull out of her pocket to prove it. Can you imagine chilling in your dorm room, doing your homework, and your roommate shows up and says she killed someone and pulls out a piece of skull out of her pocket? Honestly, I probably would have thought the whole thing was a prank. Later on, this roommate would testify in court that Krista appeared to be very proud about what she had done. She was smiling and dancing around as she retold this story. And yet, no one went to the police. And I will never be able to understand why. There's a saying, necessity is the mother of invention. Well, it's also the mother of mommy makeup. After being a professional makeup artist for over 20 years, Deborah Rubin Roberts had the privilege to work with some of the best brands and talent in the beauty industry. But it was becoming a mom that was the catalyst for Deborah to develop mommy makeup. She figured if she needed clean cosmetics that were fast and easy to use and gave makeup artists quality results, Surely, other women did too. Makeup Mommy is talc-free, so it's not drying and won't scratch delicate skin. It's paraben-free, meaning it will not upset hormonal balances. It's cruelty-free, no animal testing, and certified with PETA's Beauty Without Bunnies program. Non-comodogenic, which means it won't clog pores. Multitasking, so it saves time, money, and clutter. Made in the USA to ensure the quality of their ingredients and support their nation's economy. They also offer free shipping on all U.S. orders. I highly recommend taking advantage of their free color consultation. Just send in your selfie and they'll reply back with shade suggestions. You'll also receive a $10 gift card to use towards your first order. 
Go to mommymakeup.com slash free dash color dash consultation. Everything they do at Mommy Makeup, they believe, will save you time and money, yet still make you feel and look your best. You can save 20% off your first makeup order by using the promo code SERIALNAPPER at checkout or by going to mommymakeup.com slash SERIALNAPPER. Just use the code SERIALNAPPER, all one word, at checkout or go to mommymakeup.com slash SERIALNAPPER to save 20% off your first order. Check out my show notes for all of the details. Now back to our story. It wasn't until two days later when an employee of Job Corps stumbled across the body, at first believing it to be the remains of an animal, but then they discovered that it was a mangled human body upon closer inspection. It was Colleen Slemmer, just left there in plain sight for anybody to find. Her cause of death was blunt force trauma, but she had been brutally tortured before she had finally succumbed to being hit in the head with that piece of asphalt. Her body was so badly brutalized that the first responding officer couldn't even tell if he was looking at her face or not. And I hate to be graphic here, but I think it's really important to understand just how bloody, gruesome, violent, and brutal this murder was. Her body had too many wounds to count, and the medical examiner noted that around each of the wound was red, which meant that Colleen's heart was still bleeding when they were inflicted. She was alive when she received all of those stab wounds, when her throat was cut, when the pentagram was sliced into her skin. She was alive, and she felt everything. Remember at the beginning of this story, I said that Krista is not careful. She's not elusive. Everything that she does makes it seem like she wants to be caught. In this case, she had bragged about the killing to just about anyone who would listen to her. So once Colleen's body was recovered, it didn't take the police very long to determine who was their main suspect. And when they brought her into the station for questioning... She confessed to the entire thing, and she gave police permission to search her dorm room. This is where they would find her jeans, soaked with Colleen's blood. She showed investigators where she had dumped evidence, including Colleen's ID, and then she retraced her steps back to the scene of the crime, giving them all of the details that they would need to build a very solid case against her. If there was ever any doubt whether Krista had killed Colleen, It would be squashed when a school counselor discovered a jacket that Krista had left behind in his office. Inside the pocket of the jacket was that piece of Colleen's skull. In my opinion, everything that Krista did leads me to believe that she very much wanted to be caught. She wanted everyone to know what she did and that she was the one who did it. Krista would give a very lengthy confession about the horror that she unleashed on Colleen. She wrote that the two young women had been having issues for quite some time, mainly over Krista's boyfriend and rumors that Colleen was pursuing him. Initially, Krista said that she just wanted to scare Colleen, to get her to stop running her mouth and to leave her alone. The fact that Krista brought a meat cleaver and a box cutter with her makes me think otherwise, but go off. According to Krista, Colleen pleaded for her life, but this only made her angrier because the more she talked, the more difficult she found it to go through with the killing. She described how at one point, she thought she had heard someone walking towards them, so she stopped the attack to look around. 
Colleen took this opportunity to try to get up and run away, but Krista pushed her back down to the ground and began kicking her in the face. Krista claimed that she wanted to put Colleen out of her pain and her misery, so she did her a favor by hitting her in the head with that large piece of asphalt. She also sold out her boyfriend and her friend, naming to Daryl Shipp and Shadola Peterson as her co-conspirators. Krista was charged with murder. While it was absolutely crystal clear that she had tortured and murdered Colleen, her attorneys tried to argue that she had a diminished mental capacity and very severe borderline personality disorder. They pointed towards her difficult upbringing and all of the abuse that she had suffered as a child, as well as her dependency on marijuana. What's really interesting is the findings that one expert discovered. A doctor named Jonathan Henry Pincus studied Krista Pike's brain, and he found that her frontal lobes were not put together properly. Now, it's the frontal lobe where a sense of right and wrong is developed and recorded. He testified that he believes Krista was doomed from the beginning when her mother was pregnant with her and she continued to drink heavily, which resulted in Krista's brain not forming properly. He continued to say that every killer that he has ever examined shares three features, brain damage, a history of abuse, and mental illness. And Krista, she had all three of these features. And in my opinion, yes. These factors are likely a reason for her committing murder, but they are absolutely not an excuse. And the courts, they agreed, because she was found guilty of capital murder and conspiracy to commit murder. It only took the jury two hours to reach their decision. And if there was ever any doubt as to whether or not Krista was remorseful for the murder, well, let me just clear that up for you. After trial, she wrote her boyfriend, Tadaryl, a letter in prison, and it said, quote, Please write me. I miss you so much. You see what I get for trying to be nice to the hoe? I went ahead and bashed her brains out so she died quickly instead of letting her bleed to death and suffer more. And they effin' fry me. Ain't dat some shit. Please write me and tell me what you're feeling. Also, tell your lawyer if he wants me to testify for you. I will. Love you for the rest of my life. Signed, Lil Devil. As for her boyfriend, Tadaryl Ship, he would also be convicted of murder for the role that he played, and he was sentenced to life with the possibility of parole after 25 years. Krista's best friend, Shadola Peterson, who acted as the lookout, she testified against both Krista and Tadaryl, and she received probation in exchange for her testimony. As for Krista, she would never be leaving prison. She was sentenced to death by electrocution, which is practically unheard of for a young woman to receive such a severe sentence. But we all know how long these things take. So while she was sentenced back in 1996, she still sits on death row today. And she has been keeping very busy in prison. In 2004, she got into a tiff with another inmate named Patricia Jones, and she tried to strangle her with a shoestring. Again, our girl Krista has absolutely no capacity to try and hide her crimes, and she confessed to the entire thing on a recorded phone call with her mother. She had to know that all of the outgoing phone calls from prison are recorded, right? Like, how could she not? 
Allegedly, she was recorded saying, quote, I wrapped that shoestring around her and tried to choke the life out of her. She was passed out on the ground, mama, twitching, foaming out of the mouth. Her eyeballs was bugged out so far and her eyelids were flipped up. Krista was charged with first-degree attempted murder, not that it really matters because she's already supposed to be executed. In 2012, I guess she became bored with her life behind bars and she attempted to escape. She made a plan with another inmate and a corrections officer. However, the plan ultimately failed. She was never charged for this attempt, but again, it's like, does it matter? She doesn't really have anything else to lose at this point. Last year, Colleen's mother, May Martinez, petitioned the court to finally set a date for Krista Pike's execution. She said, I want this to happen before I die. Otherwise, nobody will see justice. It's been a long time coming, with Krista now being 46 years old. Her attorneys want her death sentence to be commuted to life behind bars due to her deteriorating mental health and the brain damage inflicted upon her because of her abusive childhood. As of recording, there has been no execution date set as of yet. If she is put to death, Krista Pike would be the first woman to be executed in Tennessee in roughly 200 years. I was the first one they arrested, the first one they interviewed. And I thought that if I went in there and told him that I did every single thing that happened up there, that Tadaro and Shadala would just get to walk out of there and they wouldn't worry about them anymore because they had the real killer. I knew from the beginning that I would be found guilty. And I knew from the beginning, well, from the beginning of my trial, that I would get the death penalty. I think I deserve to be in here for the rest of my life. I do, I know I do. I know I don't deserve to be out walking around with everybody else in normal society. I did something horrible that is unacceptable, and I realize that, but I don't deserve to die for the actions of three individuals when I'm only one person. But that's where we're currently at with this case. So again, I pose the question to you, can a human be born a killer? Are there factors in our development that predetermine whether we will be a good person or not? And if so, do you think that it's possible for a person to overcome that predisposition? I'd love to hear what you think. That's it for me tonight. If you want to reach out, you can find me on Facebook at Serial Napper. You can also search for me on Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Check me out on Twitter at Serial underscore Napper or I post things on TikTok, Serial Napper Nick, and that's all one word. If you're watching on YouTube, I'd love if you can give me a thumbs up and subscribe. Until next time. Stay safe, stay kind, especially in the comments. Bye. I'm Dean, I'm the dad. I'm Laura, I'm the mom. And I'm Chrislyn, I'm the daughter. And together we are... Family Plot! The Family Plot Podcast, a show where we discuss history, folklore, true crime, and the paranormal. Minus all the oogie bits, we are PG-13. Don't ruin the commercial. Do catch us looking into special topics like... 
The Origins of Fairy Tales. Sherlock Holmes. And the trial of Dr. Hyde and Mr. Swope. Find out who Dad Man Crush is. Or what happens in Krista's Corner. But behave, you two. So come be a part of the fam. Available on Google, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Family Plot Podcast. Bye.